0: Everyone and welcome to the Just Dow It podcast, the podcast for people starting DAOs. I'm Adam Miller, and I'm your host. I'm the CEO of MyDAO, which provides legal entity solutions for DAOs. And prior to MyDAO, I did consulting for people starting and operating DAOs. And I'm really excited to be joined today by Grace. Grace actually taught a class on DAO leadership that I was part of several months ago, which was awesome. Um, Grace, I would love for you to tell us a little bit about yourself and what makes you an authority on DAOs. And please don't be too humble.
1: I think one of the things that um, makes me an expert on DAO, I've been in this space for about five years, and that's already OG. That's considered OG in this industry, which is like, oh, wow. And I got into the space because I'm really interested in new forms of governance. I mean, I'm Israeli. I got excited about the idea of overthrowing your dictatorship. And then I thought, oh, wow, I have nothing to recommend after you do Mm. that. So the question was, what would be a new form of governance? And I've been in that inquiry for about 12 years. So when blockchain came along and this decentralized money and this decentralized funding mechanism, I thought, well, that sounds like it might be. Um, having some potential. And I joined uh, the Genesis DAO of DAO Stack. Um, I've written more than a 100 white papers for um, different organizations in the blockchain space, which means I've advised a lot more than that and screened a lot more than that. So mm-hmm. I've really um, seen a lot of the infrastructure from the both from the pre ICO all the way through whatever people have to do. And I've seen a lot of the tech ideas, some of the ones that succeeded and some of the ones that failed. And I've been watching this DAO space the whole time, and uh, I'm actually right in the middle of working on launching my own DAO, which is the first time I really decided that it was time, was now. So um, hmm. now I've got even more expertise from the side of, okay, I'm, I'm actually going through all the tools and, and using them. So,
0: And you literally wrote the book, or at least a book, oh, on yeah. DAO leadership, right?
1: I did. I wrote a book on more the human side, right? Decentralized. Mm. The technical side is one aspect, but the other aspect is how do you actually get a bunch of people to work together in a non-hierarchical organization? And I wrote that about, oh, it was three or four years ago. And uh, and right now, one of the things I'm excited about too is I have an idea for another book, which will go a little bit deeper into what's governance and all the aspects of of how to doubt, which is a working title. I don't think I'll use that title in the end, but... Um, <laughs> And and I want to use this, um, and if you've heard it, there's like this in, uh, proposal inverter thing that's going to be in beta in November, hmm. which allows you to simultaneously apply for a bunch of DAOs because I don't want to write that hmm. book sponsored by one DAO. I want it to be more of a neutral coming from the industry thing so that I won't be beholden to one funder. And so I'm waiting for that to come out in November and I'm, I'm on the list of people who might be on that. Oh, it's an alpha. It's not a beta. I'll be on Whoa. another alpha. Yeah. That's a cool exciting. tool. Yeah, so
0: it's a tool that will let you submit the same proposal to lots of DAOs at once. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I can see I can see a lot of potential for spam and and a lot of potential for value there. So it sounds really, do you yeah. does it have a name? Can you tell people about it or is it It's un- called proposal Ref's? inverter. Okay. It's, okay, it's
1: proposal inverter. Yeah. And I I saw it presented by um, the guy who's developing it at one of the, I think at the MetaFest. And yeah, you can look up Proposal Inverter and you can find it. And they are looking for people to come on their alpha. So
0: that's, that's really exciting. And what's your book called if people want to find it?
1: So you've got a DAO. That's the name of it. (laughs) So you've got a DAO. Because my observation at that time was a lot of people had raised money Um, And a lot of people who had raised money had never been part of any enterprise before, and they didn't have management experience. It's like, oh, so you've got a DAO. (laughs) It seems like, (laughs) you know, the reward in business for success is a bigger problem. And so it's like, oh, I raised the money, I've solved my problem. And then there are all these people. (laughs) (laughs)
0: That's awesome. I mean, I I love it. I I feel like the most common challenge that I see DAOs having is leadership and management. And maybe it's not top down, maybe it's distributed, but you still have to do those things. And those are still really hard things to do that not a lot of people are are really great at. All right. Great intro. Thank you, Grace. Really excited to have you here. Um, As always, we will start with the Just DAO It news report. And that will be the first half of the podcast, and then we will turn to the featured guest interview. For today's Just Dow It news report, I will be summarizing all of the stories for the audience and for our guests, and then I'll be asking Grace if she has anything to add or any hot takes or related advice for people starting DAOs. So all of our articles this week come from one email newsletter because this is the best email newsletter about DAOs I have ever seen. It is from Bankless DAO. You can find Bankless DAO's newsletter at banklessdao.substack.com. And today's article, excuse me, today's issue is about 30 or 40 pages, about 10 articles all about DAOs. And, and these are amazing articles by thought leaders, um, lawyers, other professionals, consultants, just great articles. So um, I'm going to go through a little bit of the intro, and then we will go through most of the articles in this issue and talk about Um, what they say. So um, first of all, uh, in the introduction to this newsletter, um, the uh, authors talk about how uh, they've been doing posts about DAOs for a while, but this was the first year that they saw posts in mainstream media about DAOs. So articles in Forbes, in the journal, all over the place. People are talking about DAOs, and I think for a lot of our listeners, that may not be a surprise, but DAOs really are taking off and starting to enter the mainstream narrative. I love sharing when someone defines a DAO because everyone has a different definition. So I'm going to share uh, how they define a DAO at the beginning of of this newsletter. They say, we could generally define a decentralized autonomous organization as a digital native, distributed, purpose-driven organization, which to varying degrees leverages the unique characteristics of the blockchain to organize and incentivize activity via new systems of social coordination. They go on to say, although it can sometimes be hard to know when an organization is a DAO, to paraphrase a famous U.S. Supreme Court opinion, you know it when you see it. So I'm curious, first of all, Grace, do you like this definition of a DAO or would you share uh, a different definition?
1: I think it's good enough for now. I mean, some of it is self-definition, right? If you have an industry that invents a term and then the, like the term only refers to us now, that sounds cool. I think the problem with the definition is that the hope that people have when they create a DAOs, because people call me all the time and they're looking for a more equitable justice system, more equitable democracy, more better um, management of the commons. And I think that that definition is good enough for now, but doesn't recognize the hopes that people are putting on this. And, the amazing ways that technology will evolve. I mean, we're just at the beginning. Mm.
0: So it's I good love enough that. for now. I love that. I love that. You know, I, I always give my technical definition of a DAO, which has to do with, you know, using the blockchain for governance and membership tracking. But then I do also like to say that there's this philosophy that comes along with you know, most people and most projects that are building DAOs, which is a lot more about um, what you just said. So you really have to put those two things together if you want to talk about what people really mean today when they talk about a DAO. The other part of uh, this introduction that I like is they say, unlike DeFi, DAOs have yet to come within the crosshairs of regulators and lawmakers, and most DAOs continue to operate more or less oblivious to their legal status or which laws and regulations might affect them. So I think this is uh, a really good point. You know, When we look at proposed crypto regulations, when we look at uh, Biden's executive order in the United States earlier this year was like 100 pages long and didn't mention DAOs once, Right, DAOs are just about getting noticed by lawmakers and regulators, and it's going to be really interesting to see what happens when when DAOs do get more noticed. Um, But partly as a result, a lot of the DAOs are also kind of uh, uh, oblivious to or not just not paying a lot of attention to uh, how regulations and laws might affect them. And that's something that will probably change uh, in the next several months. You know, one thing I like is uh, this newsletter, like all uh, newsletters, like all content related to crypto, it has a disclaimer and I want to read the disclaimer and then I want to say why these disclaimers actually matter because I used to hear them and think this is ridiculous. Why are you going to tell me this is not legal advice and then give me legal advice? Why are you going to tell me this is not financial advice and then go tell me which tokens to buy? So this disclaimer says, this newsletter is intended only as general information. Writers' opinions are their own. Therefore, nothing in this newsletter constitutes or should be considered legal advice, contact a legal expert in your jurisdiction for legal advice. So why do these disclaimers actually make sense? Why are they actually important? It's because there's a big difference between giving advice, writing content or speaking content that is general. And is meant to apply broadly in a lot of situations, but where you haven't actually taken the time to understand the very particular situation one organization or one person is in. And that's the difference between legal advice and not legal advice, is legal advice can only come from a lawyer who has taken the time to dig into your situation, your jurisdiction, your business, everything about the situation and the question you're asking, and then to tailor legal advice to you. Um, and so I think that's what's really important for people to remember whenever they're hearing content from the web or on podcast is this is the best we can do to generalize advice for everyone, but it really can vary depending on your particular situation. Anything to add, Grace, before we move on?
1: I would say it's interesting how much we talk about legal advice and how little we talk about ethics. mm, mm. Isn't the law there for a reason? Mm. And what is that reason? And at a time when, you know, you, you, what, he, what they said was, oh, these DAOs are operating um, without respect for the law. But a lot of the laws have been at, um, operating without respect for humans. So um, that's interesting. Just an interesting mm-hmm. note. And I think that DAOs are coming into a time where a lot of people are, and especially in the crypto world, are questioning whether the government regulations are for their own benefit. Mm. And whether they're even ethical, so it's interesting, right? Yeah, it's a good we, point. There's there's a really big difference between covering your butt and doing the right thing. Mm.
0: Yep, I love that. That's such a good point. And so maybe for those of us who are spewing information, we should be telling people not is it legal advice or not, but how about do I really know what I'm talking about or not on this issue? That may be a more a, a, the more ethical question as opposed to the legal question all right turning to the first article in the newsletter it's called alexa does dao compliance right this article is about a woman named alexa who works at uh, WACEO, W-A-C-E-O. I may be butchering the pronunciation, but WACEO is a DAO-focused nonprofit that provides DAOs with a framework for compliance, legality and risk management and prevention in line with regulatory best practices. So it sounds like Alexa is helping people solve the very problem we were just talking about that um, most people are oblivious to the regulations. Alexa goes on to say, I think that regulations can be good for DAOs and more specifically for DAO members. Currently, owing to the lack of regulations, mostly the investors are at risk. DAOs being deemed as a general partnership assumes unlimited liability for those involved, meaning one bad apple can burden a larger group of people with many legal issues. There is no investor protection in place that safeguards them from bad actors, scams, and rug pulls. So it's interesting, we hear this conversation a lot in crypto is regulation good or is regulation bad? Or is this particular regulation going to be good or bad? And the argument here is that at least with regulations, we end up with regulatory clarity as opposed to not having regulations and wondering whether and how we will eventually be regulated. Um, Grace, do you agree that regulations will be a good thing for DAOs? Or what should we expect?
1: I haven't noticed a high level of competence in the governance of any country in the world in recent years. And so it's hard for me to believe that any of the stuff coming out of governments who brought us the endemic, because it's now an endemic, Mm. right? (laughs) And a lot of it was caused by really mismanagement. And it's a life or death situation. And so I find it Difficult to believe that any of the governments of the world will come up with regulation that is actually in people's interests. And the the example that you gave was fascinating, right? Oh, we want coverage so that we won't have liability. Why is it so great for corporations not to have liability for their actions? Is that good?
0: Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I guess the but this is why I love Grace because she will tell you exactly what what she thinks, and sometimes you may want to hear it, and sometimes, like you said, Grace, you may not. But often, um, you're spinning the truth, um, or at least a, a hot take that people need to hear. Um, yeah, you know, to me, the legal, first of all, the point about governments not always being very competent is is a great one. Um, and then in terms of the liability issue, I mean, I think people are trying to shift liability from themselves to the corporation. So it's not like no one takes on liability, mm-hmm. right? But I think still to your point, I think what you're saying is why shouldn't people, although I will say that at least when it comes to criminal activity, people are still held liable for their own actions, even in business. But I guess we draw a line between financial Um, Incompetence and negligence versus actual criminal liability. Um, And that's where the liability shield works and doesn't work. So, okay, we're going to come back to this issue. in
1: 2008, nobody went to jail, right? No Wall Street bankers went to jail because who writes the laws? Oh, fascinating.
0: Interesting. Mm. I guess, I mean, I, you know, it's funny. I mean, I'm, as you know, I'm I'm really a capitalist and a free market type person, which, um, and I'm not saying that you're necessarily not, but, you know, there are, um, conflicts between um, you know being really into free markets and and some of the the views that I know that you have um, and this is a really good example right I mean to me it's a beautiful thing that people can take risks as part of this entity that the government has given this right to where the people will not, not be held liable and this is what led to things like the Dutch East Indies company and you know the expansion of, of Western society. But you could easily argue that a lot of bad things came from that, right? And maybe people should have been held liable for all the things the colonists did. So I can easily see uh, both sides of the coin. Um, But I think certainly if you want to maximize economic growth, then you'll probably say limited liability is a good thing. But if you have other intentions that are equally important, perhaps you'd take a different approach. Let's go next to uh, one more comment from Alexa. Alexa says, I've encountered a number of DAOs that are just centralized environments in disguise. The developers themselves are not educated on how DAOs actually work and what they are and what they are. In fact, it's perfectly normal that initially the DAO is quite centralized and is managed by a few. But what matters is the decentralized governance framework and the actual work done to achieve that decentralization. Would you agree, Grace, on this this take that most DAOs are really just centralized structures in disguise, or how do you see what's happening in the DAO world?
1: I'll, tell, I'll start with an a- So first of all, there was recently some, I, I can't remember who did the study, but they actually did a study based on token addresses, and it turns out that this is the case. And as I said, we're putting together a DAO right now. And I was talking about, and I was put, I was talking to the guys on Juicebox, right? JuiceBox. And the Juice Box was talking to me about we're gonna be doing land-based stuff. And they said, you know, you really wanna get a vote on it, and you really wanna get your community to make sure before you do something big like buying land. And uh, I said, okay, of course, you know, what and then then we got to the allocation of the tokens. He says you really need to allocate at least 50% of your tokens to your core team and people that you know. And so it was really you know, 20 minutes or 15 minutes between the time he said, you really need to notify and and make sure that the community is aligned with your decisions, and the time that he said, you need to hold 50% or more of the tokens. I thought that was interesting, and I thought it was interesting that I think he didn't even notice that he did it. It, it didn't even seem to... And, he, and then I said, well, we were thinking something like 30%, and he said... You need to be really careful about not decentralizing too fast. And these are the people who are actually putting the money into this, right? We're talking about people who are putting money into your DAO. And you have to be careful about not giving any power to the people who are funding you. That's an interesting statement, isn't it? And so here we have the people who are the experts telling you, be careful, hold the tokens. Hmm. And in the same conversation saying, make sure the community agrees. Hmm. hmm. Well, That's fascinating. It's just a, it was really interesting.
0: Yeah, and I mean I love that I first heard from Frogmonkey who was an early founder at Bankless DAO that it's one of the biggest challenges for DAOs is not to decentralize too early or too late, which I I think it's it's a good point that that timing does matter. Um, but at the same time, it's it's interesting. It's not surprising to hear that someone could, in the same sentence, be talking about decentralization and then also say something that's more in the interest of the founding group or whatever centralized group. All right. So moving on to the next article in this awesome newsletter. Uh, this article is called "Bespoke Entity Structure Creation for Digital Organizations," and it's by Law Panda. La Panda is an awesome lawyer to follow on Twitter and otherwise. And here's another definition of what a DAO is. Let's see what we think about this one. Decentralized autonomous organizations represent a new organizational structure that in form if not always function, allows for decentralized decision-making using blockchains and token voting mechanisms. Where legacy industrial corporations are reliant on the separation of management and ownership, DAOs offer a radically different template for organizational participation where ownership and management are merged. What do you think?
1: Hmm. I think it's a nice philosophical philosophical definition of what we wish that DAOs would be in some ways. Um, and it was interesting, I was listening to a podcast completely in, like in a management context recently where this guy who founded something called near and it wasn't the near protocol or something else, the software house. And he was, he said, when people say to me that they have, you know, um, decision-making process that is, you know, egalitarian or, uh, distributed, he always asked them how many, when was the last time somebody decided your employees decided something that you disagreed with? And it's usually crickets. And so um this, this, and he said, the owner is the owner. And he was talking about a specific example in his own organization, or I think the podcaster had no, knew this and interviewed him. And he had one year, they were trying to figure out what to do with the bonuses. And the employees said, let's just distribute it evenly. And he and the other co-owner thought it was a bad idea, but they said, well, let's try it this year. We disagree, but let's give it a shot. And that's really what that's about, right? So you want to look at, the re- that reality, it's a very interesting reality, right? Who's really calling the shots? And some things are something like you can see in some DAOs the centralization that happens, which because it becomes a popularity contest. So if you've got a long standing DAO like Dash, how easy is it for somebody who's new but better qualified than someone who's already won three years or four years of contracts to do something? Mm-hmm. How easy is it for that new person to break in? And it's not very easy. And so You've kind of got decentralization, but you also have this kind of political power that comes in as well.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I've, I've described it as the, the social structure of the organization, right? I mean, you might have a very decentralized governance structure uh, technically, but if you have one or a few people that are most popular and have the loudest voice and everyone listens to them, then you, you may actually not be that des- decentralized in a social sense. Um, so uh, Law Panda goes on to say, one of the most discussed aspects of DAOs is the ongoing debate surrounding their legal status and structure and the mechanisms that allow DAOs to interact with the rest of the world. He goes on to say that the U.S. Limited Liability Company, or LLC, is a Gen Xer. So I think what he's saying is that the LLC in the United States was developed in the 1970s. And uh, at the time, there was a lot of debate and discussion about how the organization should work and how it should be treated for tax purposes. And at the end of the day, they came up with a good solution for the 1970s. Um, and as the listeners may know, you know, our company, MyDAO, provides a, a new LLC based out of the Marshall Islands that is, is very different Um Law Panda goes on to talk about uh, current U.S. legislative efforts, such as the what we call the lumi uh bill. Um, it's Senators Cynthia Loomis and Kirsten Gillibrand, who have co-sponsored the Responsible Financial Innovation Act. And this act... Uh, goes on. It's 69 pages long. I wonder if that was on purpose because everyone loves 69 in crypto. That would be something if senators did that. Um, everyone
1: loves 69 every... outside of crypto. They just might not admit it. <laughs>
0: it's such a good point. <laughs> <laughs> everyone loves 69. and Not of... me,
1: of course. I'm very no, clean. No, no. Right. Not me. Just other people. Other people. Every yeah. other person, not the two of us. Yeah.
0: So <laughs> out of 69 pages of this proposed legislation, half a page was devoted to doubt. And while that may be the most we've seen DAOs mentioned in any uh, US government regulation, it's still not a ton. And uh, mainly it goes on actually to define what DAOs are and how they should be treated in terms of tax tax purposes and actually says that they must be properly incorporated, um, for example, in the Marshall Islands, the United States or elsewhere. Um, But then it doesn't go on to say much else about how a DAO should operate and how it should be regulated. And so it's really just um, getting us off to a little bit of a start in terms of regulating DAOs. And La Panda goes on to talk about something uh, called the DAO Model Law, which was created by Koala, C O A L A, in June of 2021. Um, to uh, it was an academic and professional collaborative initiative to create a model law for uh, blockchain and DAO um, infrastructure and trying to really seek a balance between innovation, experimental freedom, and also putting in place the necessary uh, regulatory and legal framework. So Koala, uh, I've seen it. It's also very, very long um, and really good, really well thought out. It's actually one of the things we will be looking at as we continue to think about um, new legislation to propose in the Marshall Islands. So anyone who's really interested in in these legal frameworks, please check that out. It sounds like, Grace, you're familiar with Koala's work?
1: Yeah, they've been around a long time. And within the legal profession, within groups like Koala, there's always an open debate about should DAOs obey the existing legal structures? Are, are DAOs going to be their own legal structure? And if you look at Balaji's recent book, The Networked State, he certainly brings that into question and, like, okay. What is the legitimacy today of the nation state? And it's interesting that you're working um, through the Marshall Islands because large countries like the United States are very stuck. and it would be good if they were stuck in the 1970s, but that is they're stuck way before <laughs> that, right? And they're extremely heavy. They're unable to handle the technology. And the United States is increasingly becoming uh, falling behind. When it comes to technology, when it comes to quality of living and when it comes to other things and the, the technologists are moving to other places. I don't live in the United States. As you can hear, I was born there, but it's not a friendly place for this industry. And you're going to see young, agile countries or small, agile countries, whether it's Malta or the Marshall Islands or Luxembourg or Singapore, being much more agile than the United States in terms of regulations. And you're going to see, I mean, in our industry, there's a huge breakdown just in general. The, I wouldn't say breakdown. There's In general, in the world, there's a breakdown of the structure of a nation state as having legitimacy. And in our industry, it isn't something that anyone cares about. And if you go to a blockchain conference, people might ask where you're based, but they don't ask where you're from because many of us have multiple jurisdictions that apply to us in one way or another. And this new realm of the networked state, as Balaji is calling it, I think is where many of us feel that we belong rather than to, and, and not, not that I don't love my country of origin or my adopted country. Or, you know, I, I love, you know, I love the nations that I belong to, but there's a higher, for me, a higher calling to belong to humanity. And I think DAOs and crypto allow you to do that. And I think the whole structure of nation state is simply inadequate to govern something that is global and does not recognize borders. And that could be applied to Bitcoin, but it could also be applied to League of Legends or Amazon Web Services. Why are those bound or Google? Those aren't bound to nation state and nation state legislation is inadequate for the world we live in right now. Mm. And we don't, and the UN is not an adequate substitute
0: either. Mm. You know. Do you see blockchains and DAOs being able to grow into systems that compete with nation states in their current form, or are we going to need a much bigger revolution or evolution in order to truly um, find something that competes with the current system?
1: Yes, both, yeah. but it'll be different in different places mm. and I would say the main, dro- the main thing that the blockchain uh, system is missing is anything that would sustain human beings. People will say, I can't buy my groceries with Bitcoin. I can't buy my rent with Bitcoin. And we don't own the physical assets that are required for the sustenance of human beings, including the electricity grid, which would be a fairly straightforward place for us to start, including our own hosting, our own servers and not having, you know, Ethereum nodes on AWS. So those would be really good places for us to start as an industry in terms of having an actual economy. And you're seeing that happen. There are a number of, there's something like 50 land-based DAOs at this point, and you're seeing people recognize that without those physical places, and again, Balaji also treats that in his book, without physical locations, without the ability to care for one another um, and for our own bodies, we aren't an ecosystem because our bodies are part of the ecosystem. You know, it, it could be that all of this technology will fail and we'll have to evolve into something else. But I would say what's salient is that we found each other.
0: Hmm.
1: I found you. We found one another. We found hmm. the people who are trying to solve this very difficult problem. And we might not succeed at the first attempt, but we found each other.
0: Hmm. Wow. That's... And we know what success looks like. You just gave me butterflies. (laughs) That's a really powerful statement. I mean, at the same time, we're not there yet, but like you said, we found each other and we're getting started. And I mean, to me, I I would go from, yes, owning land and being able to provide for each other's basic needs, but also to having a, a internet that's not controlled by central institutions that runs on our power grid, right? Maybe a mesh network of some kind that Governments can't just shut down if they wanted to. I mean, without that, we can't run the blockchain. And even beyond that, what about um, yeah. defense, right? I mean, in the world that we live in, you have to be able to defend yourself against both you know, small local forms of violence as well as nuclear weapons and large international forms of violence. And today, you know, Ethereum does not have a defense force and maybe at some point we'll get there, but um, certainly I don't think we're there yet.
1: Yeah. And it's really interesting because as I'm establishing this DAO, one of the things me and my co-founders decided to do is split up our seed phrases into pairs, give them to the haves, to people who don't know each other, tell each other who those people are. And we have to hold do this whole custodianship backwards, this thing, <laughs> because what you're talking about, right? What if something happens to us, either intentionally or unintentionally? We're very vulnerable in the industry. And a simple thing like just taking somebody out and having their seed phrases, and then now the gnosis wallet is locked forever. Wow.
0: Yeah, it's a, I, you know, I was just very, very vulnerable. It's a good point. It's a good point. And I don't know which is more vulnerable, like the traditional banking system or our new wallet-based crypto system, but they have certainly different risk profiles and different vulnerabilities. I mean, I was just thinking yesterday, I was going for a walk with my dog and I was thinking if someone really wanted to, they could steal my ledger, burn down or rob my house and like, take my cell phone and then I'm going to lose all my crypto. And like, of course, that's not very likely to happen, but it could happen. And if if we want to live in a world where these are truly the core elements of our new financial and economic system, we, we will have to have better solutions. At least we'll want to. OK, uh, next article from the newsletter is called Governance Considerations for DAOs. It's by the author Teresa Carballo, or Carballo, and it's another really great article. Here's what Teresa says is very related to what we've already been talking about. Governance has always been a controversial area in human history. Governance is a system by which rules, norms, and actions are structured, sustained, and regulated, as well as how they are enforced. Governance exists within nations, companies, families, and other organizational constructs, including in DAOs. Just as with nations, we are seeing DAO governance models that do not fulfill the ideals that DAOs were created to achieve. Decentralized governance has certainly been a challenge. So I think um, what's novel here compared to the conversation we've already been having, I think, is this acknowledgement that governance happens in all kinds of different systems. So not just governments, not just uh, companies, but even families and homeowners associations as my own example, and um, you know other kind uh, chess clubs in high schools, right? Every club, every team. Right, in all of these situations and more, virtually every situation humans find themselves in, there is some kind of governance going on. And that gets me excited because it makes me think that DAOs can apply to all these situations, or at least the technologies and tools and, and approaches to governance that we're building, people will be able to apply to all these different things, right? Maybe my family will, will be a DAO or have a DAO um, at some point. Um, so I think that's really exciting. And then again, at the same time, as we've been talking about, maybe we're not quite achieving the uh, ideals that we've set out to achieve in terms of governance. But isn't this just, I mean, this is really just a continuation of human history, right? We've always, It has been one of the earliest important issues in philosophy was how do we govern ourselves? And how should we govern ourselves? And I'd say with DAOs, actually, we're taking huge leaps forward. It's just that we're not there yet. And I mean, maybe we never get to a perfect state. Um, but uh, what do you think, Grace? Any hot take to add there?
1: Well, first of all, I just want to tell you that in my family, because I said so, is a perfectly good reason <laughs> for anything to happen.
0: Good point. You don't uh, <laughs> not anymore because I have adult children. But yeah, <laughs> like, and you don't even need to put that on right? chain, There's right? Definitely be- you just do it.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and you'll understand when you're older. Also, perfectly good logic.
0: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you could encode that into a DAO, right? I mean, in some regards, right? Those are things that you'll be able to program in. So, anyways, go on.
1: But that that does speak to centralization, decentralization, right? My children are at an age now where that's not how it works, and it, you know, some and and in my family, it's more like, where are we going on holiday this year? Now, right? Whatever. So it speaks the evolution of decision-making. And um, it's interesting because in that definition that she calls governance, you could quite easily put culture and religion under there. Because there's a lot of things she talks about that are norms. And a lot of the norms of society are never formally said in governance. And I like that. I I often talk about my woodpile because I live in Slovenia. And um, Want a good-looking woodpile, and I do not have the ten thousand requisite hours of woodpile <laughs> stacking to make my woodpile look like I know what I'm doing. And but I'm doing my best, and my and my labors let me know that I'm doing the right thing. Oh yeah, good for you. And they let me know. And if I trim my tree the right way, they let me know that. <laughs> yes, yeah, these are norms that are not that you. They would fit under her definition of governance. That they, but they're not imposed from somewhere on the outside. It was very interesting. And as humans, we understand it. I live in a culture that's extremely different than the culture that I come from. And it's very easy to very rapidly get cues about Mm. that. And I found that very interesting. I mean, I remember um, at some point I I was back, I was talking on the phone with somebody, it was a taxi driver and they were upset and I was raising my voice and I hung up the phone. I thought, wow, for two years, I haven't raised my Mm. voice. It was just for two years. I just had never done that because it's just, people pick up on the cues really quickly. And I'm not sure what that is. And again, you can't automate it. And it doesn't really fall under what we think of as traditional governance. But under that definition, it does fall under that definition that you gave. Really like that.
0: Mm, Interesting. It reminds me of a conversation I was having recently about, so I'll make the assertion, and I want to see what you think, that when things are going well in an organization you don't need governance governance only comes into play when things go wrong or there's a conflict and what i mean by that is you know when everyone's getting along socially and every, and everyone's doing stuff that everyone else agrees with and you're making progress and people are getting compensated fairly and generally when things are rosy no, no one needs governance you don't have to have proposals you don't have to um, you know, go to uh, any kind of conflict resolution process, you just do your thing. Um, and so it almost sounds like in a in some ways, having that social system where people can give each other hints and take hints and uh, figure out how to do things the way you're supposed to do them, you don't need something encoded in a smart contract or or bylaws. Um, does that sound right to you?
1: Those are different things. I would say it's very, it's it depends, right? I've had, um... For example, things go really well at that volunteer stage where nobody has anything and there isn't money in the pot. And then as soon as there's money in the pot, it's like, ooh. Mm-hmm. Now, if there's too much money in the pot, I'm going to call it too much money, then you don't have to make decisions. But I, was, I just listened to a podcast with the people from, I think it was Gitcoin, mm-hmm. Gitcoin Grants people, and I think it was on the Green Pill. And he was talking about how the bear market's been good for them because they had to make decisions. Mm-hmm. Because, like, wait, should we be funding that? All of a sudden, we've got a third as much money or a quarter as much money. And you have to say, oh, wait a second, what is our purpose? And so, too much money creates kind of an artificial getting along with one Mm. another because there's enough to go around. And when Mm. they're, and and I've seen some of the salaries in these places, and it's like, boy, you're willing to compromise on your value for that salary because a lot of these things are on Mm -hmm. chain, right? And you know, I was recently looking at some stuff and I was like, whoa, was like if I'm getting paid that much, I'm willing to like overlook mm. a lot of people's mm. flaws. So it's not even fairly, right? Money can almost, you know, m- money corrupts yeah. in some ways, right? right? Too much money. Some of these salaries I've seen on these DAOs, it's like, oh, no wonder these people are like so hot on DAOs and talking <laughs> about how it all works great and so much better. But then you've got all those volunteers, right? To, e- to get into that core yeah. team, it's a lot of volunteer work and it's yeah. not fair.
0: Yep. Who knows, right? Yep. Awesome. All right. I am going to move on from the news. We have only covered about half of this great newsletter. So again, a reminder to everyone, seriously, it's the best newsletter I've ever seen uh, in DAOs. Uh, check out uh, just this particular issue. Check out the Bankless DAO Substack. It's banklessdow.substack.com from July 28th. And maybe we'll cover some more of the episodes next week. Okay. Turning to... I'm yeah. That oh down. yeah, absolutely. Please write it down. And we will put a link in the show notes and I will be tweeting about it from my 0 X Thriller account as well over the next uh, few days. Okay, while Grace uh, writes down th- where to find the newsletter, uh, we are going to turn to the featured guest interview. So, uh, Grace... Would you tell us a little bit more, please? Yes, this is for you, Grace. (laughs) The rest of the episodes about Grace, really exciting. Um, Grace, uh, you did tell us a little bit about your background, but would you expand a little bit on onto how did you get into Web3 and DAOs in the first place?
1: So I've been in technology for 35 years, something like that, which says a little bit about my age. When my children grew up, I moved out. Um, in my country, I'm Israeli, I live in Slovenia, but in my country, they draft your children. I'm like, okay, I'm free now. I can do my career thing because mm-hmm. I did that thing, right? And I think a lot of women, that's kind of how it is. It's like, okay, I did that thing. Now my career, whereas men, it's kind of mm-hmm. like the opposite in some ways. Um, I, you know, when I moved to Israel, because I was born in the United States, I had the sense that it was really important to do something about the, the, the Middle East situation. And at that point, which was about Six years ago, I got the sense that this was no longer a local problem, that this was a global problem. Things like ISIS and Bash, you know, these are global. It's no longer the problems that I was trying to solve could no longer be lived it, it, to be solved. I've been part of the peace movement, and I thought the things that I'm looking at are not local to my location, and I need some more perspective. And I knew that I wanted to move to somewhere in Europe because I didn't want to be too far from my kids. But I knew that I stayed where I was, I would have the same friends, the same things, like it would be hard for me to break out. And part of what I did was I signed up for a number of Anthony Robbins mm. workshops um, to be a totally mm. new, you know, new group of people who are doing big things in the world. That was important. The people you're around, one of the things he teaches is, you know, proximity is mm. power. I wanted to be near people who were doing big things. I wanted to hear and have friends who were doing things that were completely out of range of what I had ever thought about doing with my life before. And I was at one of these things, and I was it was actually my co-author, Marco Howan, who's the co-author of my book. And I was talking about what I wanted to do, and he said, you should do an ICO. And I said, what's an ICO? And he said, oh, you can just write a white paper and make like you can get $30 million. And I was like, well, that sounds implausible. <laughs> You know, like that sounds like, it. and I, and I, and I opened up a website that, because at that time I was a digital nomad and I was trying to find myself in this industry. Try, I said, well, I can write business plans. I can write technical writing. I'm going to write white papers for a while and figure this thing out. And I opened up a website. I write I see a white papers.com. 10 days later, I had clients from wow. all over the world. And. Yeah, that's how I got into that's it. That's
0: awesome. It sounds like um, my experience with DAOs, and and I, I think you also had a similar experience with DAOs. I made a website saying I help you start and operate a DAO, and practically the next day I was getting inquiry uh, submissions. Um, so you you can tell when a market is ready to take off by doing something like that. Yeah. I won't talk
1: about the other um, dozen yeah, things. That right? didn't
0: work. Yeah. Same here. But
1: you know, it's
0: it, it, right. Yeah, right. Or or the other ten <laughs> things that were much easier. But I think but that's not interesting.
1: Yeah, but but it's important for people to know, right? Like people who are successful in their field have probably tried 20 or 30 things. It's it doesn't happen overnight. Don't get discouraged if your first idea, whatever, the first DAO you joined don't get discouraged. Like none of us did it right the first time. Yeah, I none agree. And
0: us. while we're giving advice to you know, entrepreneurs um, or innovators, you know, one of my favorite pieces of advice is, you know, if you wanna. Be successful if you wanna start a business that is gonna have customers and people are gonna wanna work with you, go to where business is booming don't come up with whatever random idea you're passionate about or you love or you grew up with or whatever. You ran into something today that seems like a good idea. Nothing wrong with doing that, but that's going to be a very different journey from instead saying, where's all the money flowing? Where are the VCs investing? Where are the entrepreneurs starting businesses? Where are people begging for you to solve their problems? And of course it's really awesome when you can find a way to combine both of those things which i have a feeling is somewhat true for you but certainly for me you know i spent a long time trying to figure out what i love and is booming and so when i saw dows taking off i i immediately knew i had to devote my life and my career to it because it was both booming as it is now and something i'm extremely passionate about but you know, again, if your goal is to grow a successful business, you got to go to where the business is and where business is happening to. Um, but yeah. uh, what projects are you working on now uh, that relate to DAOs um, that you'd like to talk more about?
1: So the tie in to business would be, I'm not sure at this time, being a successful business person is the appropriate goal for young people. We are living in a time of crisis. And uh, if you want to have your own children, if you want to live to see a planet that you love, thinking deeper about that is really important. I've been really inspired by some of these projects that are really in the in the refi space, and I'm skeptical about them because I'm skeptical about whether money can save the environment. But on the other hand, if you think about what money is, and this is a complete tangent, but money is a, there's a lot of definitions, but one of the ones that I really like from Nate Higgins is that money is a claim on future energy and future products. Right? It's it's something that says in the future, I'm going to claim this. And the amount of money in our world right now is way more than our planet is going to be able to provide already. And so this idea of taking some of that money And buying back the rainforest, because that's where it came from, was taking trees out of the ground and taking oil out of the ground. That is a way of using all these resources of money without flooding the markets. Because if all the billionaires released all their money, it would flood the markets, cause inflation. That money can't ever really be spent. But if all those billions would go back into replanting trees, which isn't profitable, we could somehow take that resource and put it back into the ground. So I really like that direction for, um, you know, for DAOs. Yeah. And I think that's really worthy. And you do see more and more DAOs looking at that. And it ties into your question because... um, what I'm working on is something called Priceless Economics and the Priceless Dow, which I'm not officially announcing until September 22nd. So don't but tell. okay. <laughs> All your listeners shh. Don't tell anybody if you're listening to this podcast. But the Priceless Economics says prices can't reflect what we really value as human beings. Anybody with most superficial thinking can understand that. I mean, even if you just think of air, it's like, okay, that's pretty priceless. And our monetary system gives it no label. In fact, our monetary system is kind of deteriorating the quality of our air. And I really need it. Like, I need air. And then you got people like, oh, we're going to build a new colony on Mars. I'm like, I like air. I love air. There's no air on Mars. Like, what are you thinking, man? Even if that really would work, right, tomorrow. It's not. The the idea that we're going to somehow build Like it's easier to build on Mars than to like fix this planet, which already has air on it. I don't believe that. I think it's if we can't figure out how to fix this, we're not going to like.
0: Yeah, I mean, we got to bring air (laughs) with us. The next planet isn't going to help
1: us.
0: (laughs) Awesome. Okay, for the last fifteen minutes or so of the podcast, I want to turn to trying to give very practical advice to people starting DAOs. So let's start with what is the most common challenge that you see DAOs facing in their early stages? And how do you suggest people address that challenge?
1: The most common thing is people don't have an idea. Or they have something that they call an idea, which is a copy of something else. I'm really surprised at how many of these DAOs actually, it's hard to say Mm. what they're doing. And I don't want to point at any specific topics. But um, I met somebody who was a, a, an artist. I don't remember if it was a musician or something like that in the arts. And he said, well, we got a bunch of people getting together. and We feel good together and um, we're going to create this collective. And, okay, well, what do you need a DAO for? I see this all the time. We meet every week and we're going to create a DAO because we like each other. Because well, I don't know why. And I would say that's the number one thing I see is that There's just a bunch of people who got together, like each other. Maybe they have something in common, but they don't really have. And we're going to see what emerges. Mm, We're going
0: to see what emerges. Interesting. Sometimes with a really powerful hype machine attached to it, even, right? That maybe gets a lot of people interested and a lot of Twitter followers and stuff like that, but still maybe doesn't really know what they're really doing. Interesting. Okay. And what about uh, the most common challenge that you see DAOs face a little bit later on in their development? Let's say they do have a, a real problem they're going after. They understand why they're a DAO and what they're working on and how. then what's the biggest challenge that DAOs run into and how should they address that?
1: So one of the problems that I think is very common with DAO is it's the money problem, right? So either you're having problem raising funds or you raised funds and now you're having a problem figuring out why it's profitable. And I want to talk more about that one, which is, okay. we've got a lot of money. And most of these models are based on some bonding curve or something. That is, the viability of the DAO is only if the token goes up in value, which means we're basically giving away money as a profit model. That's kind of weird. And so that's a problem. And then the other thing is, let's say you've raised money on the open market and you're three people or 30 people or 300 people. And there's this pool of money, there's a pool of money that we manage together, Adam. Let's split it between us in some way that looks Mm. like we're doing work. I'm just (laughs) going to see if if you'll agree. I'll vote for your proposals, Mm. you vote for my proposals. And uh, those guys over there, will kind of leave them out. Let's get like five people together because really the average number of people who vote is X. Let's get that many people together. We'll vote for each other's proposal. We'll make sure the money between us is pretty even and we'll make sure it lasts like two or three years and we'll reject all their proposals.
0: Wow, you see, Dow's doing you? this?
1: No, nobody yeah. says that out, right? Nobody says that out loud, okay? But psychologically, I've seen it happening internally because it's not our money, is it? No. Let's go for it. You know, like you're not, and, and we pretend, and in a lot of these DAOs, people pretend. It's not, I don't want to say pretend. It's it's because it's a little bit of self delusion. We're all friends. We all really like each other. We all have the same vision, but but the money pot, that's like a resource that we got kind of for free, and we don't really appreciate it. And that's a real big problem because we're actually in a zero sum game together, trying to collaborate. And we may not have a profit model that really works because this is all speculative money. And so that's a big problem.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, is that less of a problem during a bear market because there's less magic money going around? I, I guess I feel like I am i wasn't around in the earlier days of DAOs. And so I, I obviously don't have the experience that you have. I'm not part of some of the early DAOs, right? A lot of the DAOs that I'm a part of started in the last year. Um, and I think uh, over that period of time, there's a lot less, you know, there, were, there haven't been a lot of ICOs, you know, ICO-like scenarios in the last year for DAOs. Um, and so I don't, I don't necessarily observe that particular problem myself. I've almost seen sometimes the opposite, a different scenario where there's money and we're actually not good at spending enough of it because we're really careful about the money versus in a traditional business. Let's say you raise $20 million, you're going to go spend it in a year or two and see if your business works or doesn't work. But in a DAO that raises $20 million, you might spend a few hundred thousand dollars a year because you don't want to run out of money. Um, but uh, have you seen any shift in the market in terms of the scenario you're describing?
1: I think there's a little bit of that. I mean, it really depends on the DAO. I mean, the, you know, and this also points like what you were saying about not spending enough. This really points to one of the biggest problems we have across the industry is there aren't many use cases. Almost no DAOs start with rigorous use cases. And when I say rigorous use cases, I did a project at one point with, um, I it was actually with Ixo. And they were doing use cases for community currencies, for interoperability of community currencies. And the use cases were really clear. It was something like, um, you know, so-and-so is going to this, you know, is going to uh, Europe and they want to use the Basque country, you know, currency. But all they have is Sarafu from Kenya and they want to pay in the local currency. Now we need interoperability. And the shopkeeper needs to trust that the exchange rate will work. And that's really specific, right? Like there's a specific person doing a specific thing. And I think I hear a lot of people in a lot of meetings saying, we want to help people do this and the market do that. And we want interoperability with other people. But there isn't that like, I can name five people or five user profiles but this is what I want them to be able to do. And this is what they'll pay for, right? They'll pay for this service that we give them. I think there's a lot of missing in terms of really understanding what markets need. And if you've raised some money, you can kind of ignore that and you can make mistakes and it's not as as painful as it is if it's
0: like, oh, Hmm. that was my own money. Interesting. Cool. All right. What about um, number one piece of advice for people starting a DAO today?
1: I would say see what you can do without a DAO. <laughs> be, and be honest. Be honest why you need a DAO. Right? A lot of the people who come to me need a DAO, and I'm gonna say it for myself too, it's a fundraising mechanism. I do want to have a more equal government, and I do want to create a new nation state. But the main reason to do a DAO is for fundraising. And you see something like Assange DAO or Constitution DAO being completely honest about it. And that's fine. You don't necessarily even have to say it out loud. You could just like tell your co founders that's why you're doing it. But I would be honest about what you're really trying to accomplish. And I've seen pretty um, disturbing situations actually, where people raised a lot of money and spent it much faster than they, than they imagined was possible to raise that, to spend that account of money because they weren't clear on their mission in life. And, and, I, and I'm being individual about it too. Like, What do you want to get out of it as an individual? Are you just tired of working for the man? Do you really care about some problem? Do you really love working with people? Some of the most successful projects I've seen, like the Crypto Commons Association, these guys, they're not a DAO, they love working together. They do the best events. They fixed up this building in this amazing place. And it's only 100% because these guys love each other. Nothing else. They just want to work with people they love. And if you're clear about that, then you can do amazing things. So I think most people aren't really clear for what their personal goals are.
0: Awesome. Okay, good advice. And you know, I always tell entrepreneurs thinking about starting traditional startup companies, something very similar, which is know what you want, right? I mean, earlier, I said, if you want X, then you got to do something related to X, it's just as important as knowing X, right? You got to know what it, what are your priorities too. I mean, people usually say, I want all these five things like, okay, well, you should put them in order so that you can make sure what you do maximizes your chance of achieving your first priority first and second priority second. So um, I think um, uh, knowing what you want when you're creating a DAO. And the first thing you said, which is why are you creating a DAO in the first place? This was, I think, the first thing Grace ever said to me when I asked her for advice about my DAO. (laughs) Not my DAO, but a DAO I was creating at the time was, wait, why why are you creating a DAO in the first place? And it kind of throws you for a second, um, but it actually is a really, really important question to answer and keep in mind.
1: yeah. And also when you were saying about values and what you want, make sure they're not conflicting. Mm. I had one um, organization they had, um, and sometimes it's not obvious, like they had, you know, treat everybody fairly, you know, have a happy and positive working environment was one of their values. And the other one was be mm. honest. And um, they very strongly prioritize, have mm. a happy working environment and people weren't honest with each other and there was a lot of bs and uh they didn't like having me around
0: mm, cuz you were honest you you're right yeah. cuz they wanted to <laughs> I know you
1: <laughs> yeah and they they were like that makes us unhappy and it's not it's not a positive cheerleader mm. thing to say i'm like yeah but that money is, you know, like we're doing something illegal over there. I think we need to talk about it. Like, oh, it makes us feel so crappy that you say that. It's like, okay, well. Wow. Yeah.
0: And and that, that's a really common one in organizations, right, is is finding that balance between positivity and honesty and integrity, because they, they do often uh, are in conflict with each other often. And what about, Grace, any favorite tools that you'd recommend for people starting and running DAOs? You've already mentioned a few awesome ones and some that are on their way, but do you have a favorite or two you'd like to share?
1: The only tool that has decent user support in this industry is ENS. I've just been through an entire week trying to set up a juice box, a notice wallet, or whatever. I happen to have gone to ECC. And I like walked up to the Gnosis thing and I was like, how do I do this? And they were super helpful. But if you try to do that online, <laughs> the, um, it is incredibly hard to set up this stuff. It takes a lot of trial and error. We're trying to do this on Rink and you can't do this one on Rink but you can't do that one on Rink and nah, it's just a nightmare. There are three of us. We're three co-founders with a multi-sig, and it is a nightmare. And I, these tools are not ready for prime time. Two of the three people who are in my who are my co-founders are in the global south. Transaction fees. I'm paying for all the transaction fees because I can't expect, I mean, it's like, what the heck, you know, and this industry is not ready for prime time. I do not have a favorite. Like Mm -hmm. I said, ENS is great. ENS. Also, if you compared ENS to how much it costs for actually a regular Mm -hmm. domain, it's cheap. And I mean, it's not a regular, it's not exactly a domain. ENS is the only thing that I can say it's user-friendly there. I went in to their discord to get help Mm -hmm the guy was amazing. You got to watch out for trolls. They have people trolling and trying to like contact you directly, like turn off your direct messages. But the ENS people, they, Mm. man, for a $5 a year service, I can't, you know, like they were, I mean, I got so many domain names because they're like, it's a multi-sig and a bunch Mm. of us and whatever, but.
0: Cool. And if anyone's wondering, ENS stands for Ethereum Name Service, and that's how you get a .dot .eth uh, dot .eth uh if i like gray said effectively it's a domain name but the web3 version um so i have the thriller.eth and MyDAO has MyDAODS.eth, and it's it's really common and actually blowing up i think it's becoming increasingly very popular thing to uh to to claim an ens or two cool yeah and, and what's cool is you can Point it to Mm -hmm. any number of things that you want. So you can point it to your Twitter, your email, your web domain, your Ethereum address is a really common one. Um, And so that way, you know, people can generally trust, unless you've been hacked, that, uh, you know, if they find your ENS, they know where to send you ETH or how to find you on Twitter or whatever else. What about Grace? Last question, and then we will turn to the conclusion. Any favorite DAOs for people to check out?
1: Well, my DAO, you know, like obviously Priceless is going to be the best. But (laughs) the favorite DAOs to check out, I really Mm, like Talent DAO, to be honest. I think they have a really good proposal of what a DAO could be and why they have a purpose. And, you know, the idea of peer-reviewed. Um, papers is exactly a DAO. It's like we're all peers. We're peers. We're going to review each other's work. We're going to give each other feedback. I think that's a really great use case. The people involved in that are top-notch um, and and proactive and deep-thinking people.
0: That, cool. that's well I love my Talent DAO too. Days. Definitely recommend people check that out and, and join their Discord. All right, Grace, this has been awesome. Thank you so much. Um, Where can people find you and any of the projects you wanna mention on the web and on social?
1: They can find, I have a hub at gracerahmani.com now because it just got out of hand and they can find me. They can find all of my projects. They can find all of my socials. They can find my email address at gracerahmani.com
0: And you can find me on Twitter at 0xthriller. You can find MyDAO at MyDAODS on Twitter. That's M-I-D-A-O-D-S or mydao.org. Please send me your questions that I should ask future guests or suggestions for guests. Please consider liking us or leaving us a review or comment. And again, Grace, it's been amazing having you on the podcast. We have to do it again sometime. Thank you so much. And the final uh, thing I want to tell the audience are you thinking about starting a DAO? Just DAO it. Just Dow It is for educational and entertainment purposes only. Just Dow It does not contain any legal or financial advice. My Dow also does not provide legal or financial advice, and nor does your host. Yours truly.